Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come together, connect with you, connect with each other, and I pray that you would just speak to each one of our hearts this morning and meet us right where we are. You know what we need. You know what we need to hear, God. So I pray you would just continue to grow and stretch us into the women that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to talk about unity in family relationships. Does anybody have a family? Raise your hand if you have a family. We have families, don't we? We all do. And I was thinking about my own role within my family. I'm a wife and a mother and a sister and a daughter. I'm an aunt and I'm a niece and I'm a Grammy, the best role of all. And um, so we, we have a lot of roles that take place within family units, and we're all connected to someone in one way or another. It's been said that unlike friends, we don't get to choose our family members. They just kind of come with the package when we get born. We're not asked if we would like this group. I remember when my little nephew was born, we were in the hospital, 20 people staring at him, and he was looking at us like, Am I part of this? You know, it's like it just happened. So um, I love when our own Pastor Gary said that every family has a few nuts in it. And if you don't think so, you're probably one of them. And I don't know about you, but it's definitely true in my family. And some would call me the nut for sure. For the most part, we have our own little small nuclear family, which would be for me, my husband, and my three children. I have two girls and a son right in the middle. And um, before I knew it, that little group of five became 15 as they all got married and had children of their own. So the, the room got fuller and fuller, and I have to say I love that it did. And then we have our extended family, which would be aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, and that group can really grow quickly. If you ever get together with everyone on Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know what I mean. I'm sure that there are relatives out there that I'm connected to that I don't even know, and that's probably true for you as well. But truthfully speaking, all families can be a little complex at times, a little complicated, diverse, intense, and, but at the same time, they can be fun and loving and enjoyable and a little nutty, to say the least. So we have a big group we contend with. I've heard it said that a dysfunctional family is a family with more than one person in it. And if you think about it, we all bring our own little dysfunction to the group. So it's, the, the question is, how do we navigate? How do we cope? How, to, how are we to bring glory to God in the complexity of it all? We've heard said before many times here that we women have a strong influence on those around us. And I, I know that to be true in so many ways. We can have a negative, critical influence, or we can have a positive, good, godly influence on those around us. But you can be sure you're influencing 
people around you in one way or another. I have shared with you before that I loved being a mom. I always wanted to be a mom, and it was my greatest joy in life was having my children. I especially liked it when they were all little and in bed at 7.30, and I knew where everybody was. But that doesn't last long, you ladies back there. It does not last long. Before you know it, they want the keys to the car, and they're driving away on their own. Um, Probably the hardest part of motherhood for me was letting go of everybody. I've often said that um, I felt the time went by so quickly just when I was getting really good at being a mom. Everybody moved out of the house and left me. And I was like, where are you guys going? I got this. I know I can do it. Because really being a mom is kind of on-the-job training, to say the least. My daughter couldn't believe when she went to the hospital to have her first baby. She said, they just handed her to us and let us leave with no instructions at all. And she said, I looked at my husband and said, can you believe they're trusting her with us? Because you really feel that way, this precious little life in your hands. So I have the three children, and between them, there are seven grandchildren. And we won't even get started on that. My grandson the other day, who's six, said, I just had a nervous tummy all day because I knew you were coming. And I thought, my children didn't feel that way about me, but my grandchildren do. (laughs) And so that's the great part about grandchildren. They are blessed for sure. But we raised our three children in the Lord, and the greatest blessing for me is watching them raise their children up in the Lord. It just doesn't get better than that. And it's kind of what we call passing on a legacy, one generation to the other. I, we've taught them the things of God. Now they're teaching their children, and hopefully it will go on and on. Years ago, my husband and I were on a missionary trip in Albania. And we came at a time where communism had just been lifted from the country. So there was a whole generation there who did not know about God because it was illegal to have Bibles, to talk about God, have Bible studies or anything like that. And Danny and I found ourselves spending time with a lot of young people. And we were talking with this young nurse and she said, we were talking about Jesus and she said, I kind of remember that name, but not from my mom and dad, it was from my grandma. She talked to me about Jesus. But you see, one whole generation was kind of skipped where they weren't taught those things. And so it it didn't get passed down to the next generation. And the result of that, Danny and I noticed so often when we would walk places, people just kind of had a blank stare on their face. There was no hope and no joy in their life, and it was so evident to see. So it reminded me how important it is for us to train up our children. And Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. And I've seen this happen in so many families. Children get trained up in a godly home, and then they might go off on their own a little bit. But when they have children, they bring them back to God again. So it's so important to consistently teach them the word, teach them to pray, bring them to church each and every Sunday, not occasionally. You want to make it a habit for your family. The word for me, raising children, was consistency. I wanted to be consistent in my walk with God and in the things that I taught them. 
I wanted to be the same at church as I was at home and the same as at home as I was at church because our, our families are the ones who know us the best. They're with us day in and day out, and they see all that's going on. So I wanted my walk to match my talk because I feel like children watch us even more than they listen to what we're saying. They're watching our behavior. And so we want to have that godly behavior in our homes. Because we're women here this morning, and I know a lot of you mother-daughters come together, and that always blesses me so much when I meet you and you get to do that. I wanted to spend a little time talking about um, my relationship with my daughters, who are grown now. I have a great relationship with my son. I love him dearly. Spent time talking to him last night. But there's something about training your daughters how to be wives and moms as they get older and need that from you. Um, my daughters and I are super close. We talk to each other all the time. And I love to encourage them in their roles as wives and moms. The relationship certainly changes when your children move out, get married, and have a family of their own. And it's adjustment. It's adjustment probably for us more than them. But over the years, I have learned to honor and respect my married children's families, their boundaries. Because we talked a while back about inner circles. When your children get married, you're no longer part of that inner circle. Now it's their spouse and their children. They're building their own inner circle. So we're not we're not in their life day in and day out like we once were. We're kind of once removed, I guess you could say. I've learned to um, encourage my children, and I want them to depend on God and their spouse more than they do my husband and I. I've also learned, and this was a tough one, to give advice only when it's asked for. It's really hard, you guys. <laughs> Because if we give unwanted advice, it can come across just like that, unwanted. And it's not received. So I try and wait till my children ask me for advice, even if I see things along the way that need to change. I try and wait till they ask for advice. And also, I've learned to never take sides when they disagree with their spouses in any way because... I believe when your children get married, that spouse becomes one of yours as well. So I don't want to take sides or show favoritism. I want them to work that out with the Lord on their own. I feel my role as mom now is a cheerleader. I feel like I'm standing on the sidelines watching them do life with their family, and I'm encouraging them and their greatest cheerleader in life. It's really wonderful. In looking at scripture, I want to look at some relationships, family relationships that I found in scripture and see what we can learn from those. In looking at scripture, we meet a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law in the book of Ruth. And these are two women, Ruth and Naomi, and they're a beautiful example of blending their lives together and modeling a good relationship with one another. If you've never read the book of Ruth and you have time this week, I encourage you to do so. It's not that long. It's a, a story of love and loyalty and redemption, and it will bless you for sure. 
But of course, for the sake of time, we can't do that, so I'll just kind of walk us through it. Naomi, the book starts with Naomi losing her husband and her two sons, and she finds herself left alone with her two daughter-in-laws. She encouraged both girls to go back to their own family, back to their homeland, and continue on with their lives. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and went on her way. But the Bible says that Ruth clung to her, saying to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. As we read on, we find that Ruth came to know God through her relationship with Naomi. And they had a great commitment to each other, a great bond with one another, and they encouraged each other in this difficult time that they found themselves in, and they wanted the best for each other. So it's really a beautiful story of that daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationship, which can be difficult from time to time for sure. Even as mothers of grown daughters, we, have, we still have much to teach them, but we also have a lot to learn from them. Because I'm learning that my girls, they might not do things just as I did. They might do things even a little better than I did. So I want to learn from them and teach them as well. My, my girls often call me during the week and they start with, I have a question for you, Mom. And it might be a recipe question, or a kid question, or a Bible question, or a friend question, whatever. But no matter what they're asking me, I always want to um, point them to what God says about the situation. Except it's a recipe. I don't think that matters too much. But <laughs> I always want to bless them and encourage them and lift them up in their roles as moms. And I tell them both they're doing a great job. I'm really proud of them. My youngest daughter said to me once, Mom, sometimes I wake up trying to be like you because when I get up in the morning, I kind of hit the ground running and get, spend my time with the Lord and I get things done. And she was referring to that. But we should be able to say to our children, like Paul did, come follow me or imitate me as I imitate and follow God. Come, you know, follow what I do because I'm following him closely. We want our example to be a good one for our Lord, for our children. And it's such a blessed responsibility that we have to always point them to God because they'll end up doing the same for their children. As we continue on in scripture a little bit, let's look at a few more family members and see how they related to one another. In Luke chapter 10, we meet up with two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus were close friends of Jesus. And as the story picks up, Jesus and the disciples were passing through their village, and Martha invited um, them to come to their home for, her home for a meal. And the Bible says as, as Jesus entered, he found that Martha was distracted and busy with all the preparations while her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. We see two sisters probably raised in the same home and family, but responding to Jesus in two very different ways. As we look at them closely, we see how different their personalities really were. Martha seemed to be a doer, um, 
uh, take charge kind of person, a little bold and outspoken, while Mary seemed to be quieter and gentler and a kind of a responder. Martha, um, in her frustration, as she realizes she's doing all the work and her sister's just sitting there, she marches up to Jesus and says, look at my sister. She's left me to all the work. And then she, in her boldness, she says to Jesus, tell him, tell her to get up and help me. And I always, every time I read that, I think it would, you probably could have heard a pin drop because who tells Jesus what to do? I mean, really? But he calmly and gently responds to her. Martha, Martha, why are you so troubled and upset about so many things when one thing is needed and Mary has found the better thing? Now, this is probably not the response Martha wanted from Jesus. And we don't see that Mary jumped up and ran into the kitchen to help her either. So obviously Martha is frustrated, irritated with what's going on here. But the point I want to make is, even though they had a disagreement, even though they had a little moment there, they let it go. They didn't hold on to it and let it affect their relationship because later, as we read, we find the two sisters once again when their uh, brother Lazarus had died and they were waiting for Jesus. So I think it's a good thing for us to take a look at, not to let little family squabbles come between us. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard women say, I haven't spoke to my sister and my brother, whoever, for 10 years. And because I have no sisters, I like to think if I had one, I would speak to her. But I often wonder, do you even remember what you're upset about after 10 years, really? Um, so you might think this issue with Martha and Mary is trivial, but people get hung up on trivial things. Even we believers get hung up on trivial things. So lessons learned from these sisters. We won't always agree. That's a given. We'll have different views, points of views. But we want to get over it quickly and not hold on to it and not make a big deal out of things. And let it go. And don't remind people of what they did wrong five years ago at Christmas. Nobody likes to hear that. Because the truth is, we all make mistakes. We all mess up. Like um, Martha, we probably all said things maybe we didn't mean for the tone to come out like it did. So those are good lessons to take away there. In um, Acts chapters 12 and 13, we meet up with Barnabas and John Mark, and they're cousins. They were cousins who went on a missionary trip together with Paul, and because John Mark was younger, he served as their assistant. So they're going together along the way, and the Bible says that on their second stop, John Mark left them abruptly and returned to Jerusalem. Now, this rubbed Paul wrong. It didn't settle with him. He was disturbed, he was unhappy, and disappointed in the young man. And then, two years later, while they were preparing for their next journey, Barnabas suggested taking John Mark once again on the trip. But the Bible says that Paul flatly refused. He wasn't going to have it. And as a result, there was a division in the teams. Barnabas ended up taking John Mark, but Paul chose Silas instead. 
So as you continue reading, though, I love this, you see that over time, John Mark proved himself and eventually reunited with Paul. And the Bible even says that he became a close friend and valuable to the ministry of Paul. So he, he was in a growing stage, and he learned from his mistake. And the lessons that I learned here is the that we will all make mistakes. Family members will disappoint you and they will let you down. But I love that Barnabas stood beside John Mark in spite of his shortcomings. He was patient with him and encouraging him and he didn't give up on him. And I think how often we give up on family members, like you didn't do what I wanted or whatever and I'm never talking to you again. But you can see here, God wants to often work through situations like that. And I always think God never gives up on us, so we don't want to be quick to give up on others either. I have a story from my own family that kind of speaks to this issue. My husband grew up in a family um, where his father left the home when he was very little, so he never knew his father. And there were six kids in the family, so his mother ended up a single mom raising all these children. They didn't have much money. They moved often, and life was hard. There was very little supervision for the kids because mom was working so much. And the result of that, when my husband was young, he had a heart full of anger and bitterness towards his dad, resentment. Even though he'd never met him, he had all these hateful feelings towards him. When our daughter Erin was 11, she wanted to do a family tree. And she was going around asking everybody about family members. And when she got to her dad, he couldn't really go very far because he didn't know anything about his father at all. And so in her persistence, she kept asking around, found out that he lived in Louisiana, and she got an address. She didn't know if it was the right address, but she got an address. And in her little girl way, she wrote a letter that said, Dear Grandpa, you don't know me. My name's Aaron. My daddy's name is Danny. And I think you're my grandpa. And she went on to say, I'm doing a family tree, but I don't have any information. Well, some time went by. We didn't hear anything. We thought it was probably the wrong address. And then one evening, when she and I were home alone, the phone rang, and I answered it. And it was a man saying he was Aaron's grandpa. And when I called her to the phone, she was shaken like a leaf. And he, told, he thanked her for the letter. He told her he would love to meet her and give her all the information that she wanted. So because of this call, when Danny got home, he ended up returning the call to his dad. And his dad asked if he could come out and stay with us for a few weeks. Now, this was no easy decision because we didn't even know this man at all. We had no idea. But God was starting to soften Danny's heart. He was at a place with the Lord where God was doing a work in him. And what took place over the next few weeks, honestly, it could be a movie. Um, He stayed with us for two weeks, and he would go to church with us on Sunday, and he went to men's Bible study at night with Danny. And he, on the way home one night, he said, I want what those men have. I want a relationship with God like that. So Danny ended up praying with his dad to accept the Lord, 
And he came unsaved. He left a changed man. He had a relationship with God. It was amazing to watch. Honestly, it was. Um, over the years, he would call Danny and ask him Bible questions all the way up till the time he died. And they would talk on the phone for hours about the Lord. But the story didn't stop there. Danny's mom got so upset that she made that he had made peace with the father. She just couldn't understand. How could you forgive him? And Danny said, how could I not forgive him? Because God has forgiven me for so much. He ended up getting to lead his mom to the Lord as well. So if you look at the transactions there, God moved on a little girl's heart in an innocent way, softened Danny's heart, brought these two men together, and both of his mom and dad became saved through the restoration that God wanted to do in that family. In Proverbs, it tells us that hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. And honestly, that's what took place. Danny's past was like wiped out off of his mind, and he had a new relationship now with a dad who loved God like he did. And that's God's love, ladies. It's perfect, it's complete, it's healing, and it can do what nothing else can do. Another example, as we move on, that I found in Scripture is found in John chapter 1. And we read of Andrew, who was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he was met up with Jesus as Jesus was passing by, and immediately he went to follow Jesus. And then in verse 41, it tells us the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon Peter, and tell him he had met Jesus. And he brought his brother to Jesus. Jesus' words to Peter, come follow me, and follow him, Peter did, as he became a church uh, leader and leader amongst the disciples as well. Lessons here, ladies. We want to share the Lord with our family as often and every chance we get because you never know what God's going to do with a changed life. Share your testimony. They might argue with what you believe, but few can argue with your changed life. Encourage each other to come follow Jesus. It's the greatest thing that you can do for your family. You never know what God has in mind for someone. So let's face it, few families are perfect. I don't know any. Few run smoothly without squabbles from one time or another. How do we handle these conflicts? How do we handle strife when it arises in family issues? First of all, we need to remember who is behind the disagreement, who's behind the dissension. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood or people. It's not against people, but it's against rulers, authorities, and powers of the dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We often get upset with people and things they may say in a hurtful manner, but we have to always remember who it is that wants to separate and divide and cause strife and discord. We have an enemy that wants to do those things. 
It's a spiritual battle that we're in, and we need to remember that, and we need to fight spiritual battles on a spiritual plane. Ephesians 6 goes on to say, be alert, stand firm, and keep on praying. That's how we fight those evil forces. And when we do that, it will change the atmosphere when we enter. There are places, family members we go visit, that there's some yuck going on there. So Danny and I always pray before we get there that when we enter the room, all that darkness will leave, and they will only feel the love and peace that we bring with us when we bring Jesus in the house. So you want to keep that in prayer as well. Next, humble yourself. Boy, a humble spirit goes a long way. As believers, we should be above strife and arguing and bickering. The Bible tells us clearly to avoid disputing, arguing. And sometimes I think we just have to agree to disagree, and that's okay. We can't change other people. I've said often we can only change ourselves. And it's hard, but listen to Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Has anybody ever been caught up in a foolish and stupid argument? We can get sucked right in if we're not careful. And then he goes on to say, because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but instead be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. So the next time Uncle Harry's sitting at your Thanksgiving table and he wants to bring up politics or something that's going to get everybody riled up, you don't have to jump in there. You try and bring the peace. Avoid the strife. We can do it if we try. Someone said that we don't have to attend every argument that we're invited to. And that's true. We don't want to do that. You know, even if it's going on all around us, we want to be the peacemakers. So, and then Pastor Ann, number three, is not to be easily offended. She's talked about that a lot. And I remember in your little rain slicker, let, the, let it slick off of you. But as women, I think we need to be reminded of that often because we're emotional creatures and we get our feelings hurt easily, probably more so than men. And we often read into things that maybe weren't even said or meant at all. So we don't want to be stumbled by others' opinions or harsh words against us. Let's not give the enemy a foothold in our family relationships. Number four is strive to be a peacemaker. We're called to be peacemakers, ladies. And God doesn't call us to do something if he doesn't give us what we need to do it. In Matthew 5, Jesus was speaking about anger. And he said, settle matters quickly. We can bring peace to a situation if we just settle matters quickly. If you were wrong, say, I was wrong. If you need to apologize, apologize. But do it quickly. Don't let it build and fester within you. We need to remember that broken relationships with people can hinder our relationship with God as well. So next time you're 
tempted to not ever speak to someone again or hold a grudge or whatever, think about that. We want to keep things right with God as we forgive other people. Unforgiveness only hurts us anyway. It hardly ever hurts the other person. In 1 John 4, 20 and 21, the Bible says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he, is, he has seen cannot love God who is not seen. And he is given us a command, whoever loves God must love his brother. When I read that, I thought, wow, that is heavy, but it's a command, the Bible says, because when we harbor things against people, it hurts us, like I said, and God doesn't want us to stay in a place like that. It sounds like our true, um, our true test for our love for God is how we're loving other people around us. Are you loving others as God calls you to love? Are you demonstrating that love to others? I always think of, many of us have listened to Joyce Meyer, and she shares her testimony about, she shares it often, about being abused as a little girl physically and mentally by her father most of her life. And I remember her telling the story after she'd been a Christian for a while, God asked her not only to forgive her dad, but to take care of her dad in his old age. And she said that was hard. She didn't really want to do it. But out of obedience to God, she followed through anyway. She not only took care of him, she bought him a house, took care of all of his medical issues, everything. And in time, she was able to lead him to the Lord. That was the result of that. So see, when, we're, when we leave room for God to intervene in situations, he'll do what we could never do on our own. He will always bless our obedience in ways we could never imagine. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. It's not always easy, but when we do it, the blessings will come. So we need to choose to love, choose to forgive, seek peace, and strive towards unity in all relationships. As we wrap up this morning, I want to close with these words from Colossians 3. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that's the word that God has worked on me all week because it's so hard sometimes to be patient with family members who do the same thing over and over again, and then they come to you for advice, you give it to them, and they do the same thing. I need patience, Lord. Help me. Help me in that area. It goes on to say, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love. And I think Pastor Ann's mentioned that scripture before, put on love. We want to be clothed in love because love, it says, binds us together in perfect unity. Paul's strategy here, be Christ-like in our attitude and our behavior. Let love guide us always and forgive quickly. We can sum it up by heeding his words that say, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I think this is something we all have to do our own heart check on. We can't do it for others. We need to examine our own heart often and daily. 
What does it mean to you to live a life worthy of the Lord? How would that affect those around you and the relationships that you have? How could it bring unity to situations? What would others see in you if they saw you living a life worthy of the Lord? My oldest brother passed away a few months ago, and we were as different as two, any two people could be. He loved to debate and challenge me, and I would rather avoid conflict. He was very smart and strong and opinionated, and me not so much. He loved to tease me, and growing up, I was the end of every practical joke he ever had. But our biggest difference was that I was a Christian, and he was not. I'm sure he often thought I was the nut of the family, and I know I thought he was the nut of the family. But regardless of our differences, I loved him. He was my brother. He wasn't just like me. I wasn't just like him, but I loved him. And we would talk on the phone often. He lived in Florida, and he would always get, if ever I brought up the Lord, he would get upset with me. But after he died, my niece told me that he had told her he watched my walk with God for 20 years, 25 years, and he said no matter what I said to her, she never wavered, never wavered once. And she said that spoke so loudly to him. And I say all that not to puff myself up in any way, but to remind us that family members are watching us. They're watching us all the time, and sometimes they're even watching to see if we'll mess up in front of them so they can tell us about it. But we want to be loving and kind in spite of our differences, and we want our light to shine bright for Jesus, and we want to live a life worthy of the calling that the Lord's put on our, on our hearts. The last time my brother called me, I remember I was sitting on the stairs, and he called to tell me that he thought he was dying. And I asked him if I could pray for him, and for the very first time, he said, yes, yes, you can pray for me. And so I did, and he died shortly after that. But I don't know exactly where his heart was with God when he died, but I do know that he heard the gospel and he saw the love of God demonstrated. And that's what I was called to do. So we can only do what we can do, ladies. It's up to God, and it's up to people. They have a choice. But the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. And I've seen that firsthand in my own family in such beautiful ways. Um, When loved ones are gone, we'll never regret the time that we spent loving them, encouraging them, overlooking their differences, and striving towards unity in relationships. So... Let's be women who live above all lives, loving others, loving God. And it's so much easier than we think because if we love God, he will help us love others. You don't have to work hard at it. That love will flow through you. The Bible tells us also to set our mind on things above and not this temporary world we're in. In other words, keep that heavenly mindset. View people as God does all people valued, loved, and precious in his sight. And learn to enjoy your family, even the nuts in it. 
enjoy your life and look and find the good in others. And when you do, you will be blessed and so will they. In Jesus' name. Shall we pray, ladies? Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for all the work that you do in our hearts and in our families. Thank you for healing, restoration. I pray for any lady here who's been hurt by family members, God, that you would just help them to forgive, to set their heart and mind on you, and to give room for the healing that you want to take place there. And, Lord, you can do what we could never dream of, but you can do more than we can ever imagine as well. And, ladies, if you're here this morning, and we've talked a bit about choices that we have to make and responses, and one of the most important choices you can make is to come into that relationship with God for, your, for yourself. No one can do that for you. But if you're here and God's moved on your heart in any way, and you've never asked God into your life or you're far, far away from him and want to come back, we're going to all pray this prayer. And I, it's not a fancy prayer. It's not about the words at all. It's about the condition of your heart. So let's all pray, ladies, together. God, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, change my life, and I surrender it to you. Help me to walk with you and follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, that's such a simple prayer, but the benefits are more than I could ever tell you, ever share with you. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. So if you prayed that prayer, we have a book, this book, that Pastor Gary wrote. And it's at your table, I think, to get you walking with God, what to do the next few days to get you on that path with him. And as you sit at your tables, we've got a little bit of time left. As you sit at your tables, I want you to do three things. Well, this is what I would ask of you. Don't leave here without Jesus. Don't leave here without a relationship with him. Don't leave here with unforgiveness in your heart for anyone, any family member. Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. And at your tables, let's encourage each other on how to build strong family relationships that glorify God and bless us as well. So God bless you ladies. Love you. And you got something to talk about now.